Father God, help us with this passage. Help us to clearly see and delight in the Lord Jesus. Help me to explain clearly what is happening to proclaim Christ as we see him in this wonderful passage of scripture. Help us to listen and hear what you have to say to us today and apply it to our lives. Amen. Batman and Bruce Wayne, Bruce Banner and the Hulk, if you're a little bit more refined, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or here's my recent favourite, this is going to work, there we go, good cop and bad cop from the Lego movie. Uh, There is on this passage, if after this you want to listen to a wonderful sermon from the late Tim Keller, uh, on the exact same passage where he focuses on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, I've gone with the Lego movie, which is far more up my street. Um, All those stories, though, they all show a single man whose personality, whose identity has been divided whilst they remain trapped in their body. And here in Romans 7, Paul says you can add your name to that list of divided personalities. Maybe as you read it, many of us will feel like we are conflicted, confused, divided people. Uh, It's a reality we recognise, and so it's no surprise that it's what our culture recognises, as seen as in the many cultural examples. It's uh, our culture's attempt to explain the world we live in. It attempts to explain the people we are, and so it tells these stories. You read this passage here from Paul, and if you're like me, you probably keep going, that sounds a little bit like me. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's not a poster on anyone's wall at home, probably, but it describes us quite well. The world doesn't have an answer to this question, though. It tells stories. Why am I like I am? But we're going to look today at what Paul has to say. Because the key question which Paul has been unpacking in Romans 6 and 7 is this. What should I expect the Christian life to be like? You see, in Romans 6, we saw how because of Jesus' work on the cross, because of his resurrection, we're now united to him. We looked at the picture of baptism, didn't we? He died, we died, he rose, we rose. Our old life is gone. We're now living a new life if we're trusting in Jesus. One filled by the Spirit. We're going to look at that in Romans 8. We have our, our union with Christ. But what should we expect the Christian life to look like now? Now before um, Jesus returns, before we die, before we go to a new creation, before he ushers that in, what can I expect? Should we expect radical transformation or slow and steady growth? The drug dealer parked outside the gym. He took a gun out of a glove compartment and waited. Someone was about to learn the hard way that gang culture can be ruthless. As the gym door opened, Mick got out of the car, his finger fidgeting on the trigger. But the target was not alone. Two young children walked beside him. Suddenly, a a piercing light came from one of them and blinded Mick on the spot. He staggered back to the car, shaking with fear. As he sat there contemplating suicide, a phrase leapt into his consciousness. The wages of sin is death. 
Where did that come from? A forgotten Bible verse from childhood days, Romans 6, 23. The gun went back into the glove compartment. The family went home blissfully unaware, but an act of God had just saved their lives. And remember that story a couple of years ago? Pastor Mick from Burnley recently made famous in a series of interviews with the BBC telling the amazing story of transformation, his work amongst the most Vulnerable. Romans 1.16, we looked at it right at the start, it tells us the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation. Nothing has changed 2,000 years later. The light that dazzled Paul on the Damascus Road dazzles drug dealers in the 21st century. From death to life. But when I hear a story like that, or one of the countless wonderful Christian biographies which I commend to you, other stories come to mind, stories which don't get written about. How about I tell you a story of a friend I'm going to call Ben. After putting his faith in Christ, he struggled to change. Despite hours of counselling, hours of time studying God's word and prayer, he's remained stuck in sinful patterns of lust, of envy, of self-pity. He feels utterly trapped in cycles of sin. Now, if the gospel is the power to change, why can Christians still feel trapped in these cycles of sin? If God's purpose for us is freedom and life, what are some of us missing? Romans 6 was a a celebration of freedom. Romans 7 has been and continues to be an outburst of frustration. I think when we take them together, they're really realistic chapters of the reality of the gospel in a fallen world. Wonderful stories of transformation, which we'll all recognise in our own life. Stories like Pastor Mix, maybe a slightly lower level. But also stories of frustration when we really look at ourselves, honestly. Now, a key question ever since his letter was written has been, who is Paul talking about here in Romans 7, 14 to 25? Every commentary you read, every sermon you ever listen to will always need to deal with this question. Who is Paul speaking about here? He's been speaking previously in Romans 7 about about what he was like, his relationship to the law. And obviously, Paul continues here to speak about himself. You can just see the amount of times he uses the word I here. But this is the key question. Is Paul speaking about his life before he followed Jesus or his life now as a Christian? Because how we answer that question does matter. And I've been wrestling with a lot these last few weeks, reading, listening to lots of chapters, Sai and Langs. And it's fair to say great writers and theologians sit on both sides of this. But it's important we work hard for a bit on this before we seek to apply this passage. Great arguments, I think, can be made for both points of view. For those who say Paul is speaking about his life before he was a Christian, they point to verse 14. The law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. And they say, well, how can a Christian speak like this? Verse 20, it is is sin living in me that does that. Verse 23, I'm a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And they go, well, again, how could a Christian say that? Sin has been defeated. We've seen that in Romans 6. How do these verses fit with Romans 6, where Paul says we're no longer slaves to sin, and Romans 8, which makes it clear as Christians we've been set free from sin? These are good arguments, along with a key one, which is that Romans 7 makes no mention of the work of the Holy Spirit. Those who argue that Paul is speaking out life before he was a Christian 
are wary of a danger, a danger that we don't see Christ's victory as a full and proper victory, that we don't experience the freedom we have because of Jesus, that we don't pursue holiness, we don't long to follow God's good and gracious law. They say correctly, well, we're dead to sin. We're now alive in Christ. And this passage at times doesn't make it sound like it. Now, those who say Paul is speaking about his life after he came to follow Jesus point to these verses. Verse 22. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. And they recognise personally the struggle we face as Christians. They think this describes it well. They look at other passages of Paul where he calls us to take off our old self, put on our new self. And people who seem to hold this view want to make sure we don't fall into a view which argues that Christians can be and should be perfect this side of the new creation. Now let me make clear, no faithful Bible teacher disagrees that the Christian life is a battle. Or that nearly all of what Paul says here is true for the Christian. Christians continue to fall short of God's standards in various ways. We struggle daily with sin. The question is, does this section Romans 7 speak about this experience of the Christian or not? Because at Town Church, we want to teach the Bible. We want to see what the Bible has to say to us, not what we want to say into the Bible. And I'm going to land where a number of others land. And it maybe suits my character. I'm going to land slightly in the middle here on these two positions. Um, There's a well-respected commentator. I was doing some reading from him and listening to him this week, Tom Schreiner. And he's previously landed very firmly in the camp before Paul was a Christian. But he's recently moderated that view. And it was really interesting and humbling listening to him because he is a proper biblical scholar. And he said on this kind of passage, he just goes back and forth a little bit. But the main reason he does that now, and I think I'm convinced by that, is he wants to go, well, the focus of the chapter, the focus of Paul here in chapter 7, is not whether it was before or after Paul became a Christian. That's not the focus of this chapter. The focus, as Sai has helped unpack the last few weeks, is on the law and our relationship to it. And so the key thing to see again and again is that the law cannot transform you. Theologians often point to three core uses of the law. The law is is prophetic. It points to Jesus. The law is convicting. It exposes our sin. And the law is also a rule of life. It shows us what it looks like to live as God's people. But we need to view it correctly. We've been looking at in Romans 7. The law cannot save us. And we cannot use it as a rule of life. We cannot use it as a way to live without the work of the Spirit. And our progression in following it isn't straightforward. We cannot imitate Jesus before we are united to him. Paul here seems to be looking at our human capacity and he's making it clear that in ourselves we cannot follow the law. Jesus alone followed the law perfectly. Jesus alone was righteous by his following of the law. He loved God and his neighbour perfectly as he sums up the law. But we can't because of our sinful nature, which continues to work within us. So to land in the middle, I think this passage is speaking about both the Christian and the person who is not. Shriner says this, he says it's totally the experience of unbelievers and it is partly the experience of believers. I think it's important. It's totally the experience of unbelievers, this passage here. And it is partly the experience of believers. Remember back in Romans, we've seen some key terms, haven't we? Our justification 
is total and it is complete. That is, if you put your trust in Jesus, you have moved from death to life. You become a child of God and your salvation is secure. You've been justified. You've been made right before God. But your, your sanctification, the work of becoming more like Jesus, that God promises to work in you by his spirit, it's gradual. It's progressive. Why? Well, because whilst we still live in these bodies, our sinful flesh remains. So we're in a battle. We're in a war. So what is the Christian life to be like now? I think it's complicated. I think it's hard. I think in many ways it's, it's harder now as a Christian than for those who don't follow Jesus. Because there's a battle going on between our flesh and our spirits. We don't need to read Romans 6 to 8 linearly as if one happens and then the other or we get stuck. Romans 6 to 8 happens simultaneously. We're, we're saved, we're justified, and at that moment, the Spirit comes to live in us. Romans 8 makes that wonderfully clear, and God begins the work of making us more like him, of helping us follow his law, his good law, being made more like Jesus. And yet now, whilst we're on the earth, we are in a battle. I've said it before, but it, this illustration helps. It's been said that World War II was won on D-Day. And yet it was months after D-Day that we had VE Day. Total victory in the end of the war. As Christians, we live in this now and not yet state. Uh, The victory has been won. Our identity has totally been transformed. We are now in Christ. We're united with him and we reign in glory. And yet we remain in these earthly, fleshly bodies. So what is the Christian life to look like now? Well, we're going to look at three core truths briefly. But we see here in Romans 7. Firstly, what is the Christian life like now? It's a constant war. Verse 14, we know the law is spiritual, Paul says, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. You recognise that in yourself? I, I, I hate sin, but I still sin. I want to be right, so I want to follow God's law, his perfect ways, and yet I find so much in me that opposes that. Verse 17, Paul continues, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Augustine used the analogy of our lives being like a battle between two jockeys. Whilst the Bible tells that once the Holy Spirit has raised us from spiritual death, we're still in a fight. Satan does not give up easily. The flesh does not die instantly. So what is the Christian experience like now? It's complicated. It's a battle. When you become a Christian, your old self doesn't go away. It doesn't really even lose its strength. You see, sin is, it is like gravity. Paul describes sin here as like a law. Verse 21, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, he's not talking about God's law here. He's using the word law in, in the way of like a fact of life, a reality you can't escape. I think gravity is possibly the best example of this, the law of gravity. You don't have a vote about gravity, do you? You can't, by an act of your own will, decide you're tired of gravity. You know, held to the ground, held to the earth every day. And if you decided, well, I'm tired of gravity, I'm going to spring free of gravity this morning. 
and you decide rather than walking to your car, you're going to jump out the window, launch yourself onto your car, you just tire the gravity. Well, if you live around the corner from that person, you're going to hear a thud, aren't you? The body's going to hit the roof of the vehicle because you don't have the ability, just by an act of your will, to escape the reality of gravity. That's the law of sin. How often have we felt like Paul here, like we we want to honour God and yet we keep messing up? Sin is a law, but it's also a war. Uh, And for the Christian now, it can be like there's two completely different personalities living with each other. Francis of Assisi famously called his, his body, his flesh, Brother Ass. It's a great name. I know I often feel like this. Utterly frustrated, confused and annoyed at myself. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his law. I believe it's good. Like sweet honey, Paul says that here. It's a wonderful guide from the maker of the whole world about how to live in his world. It shows me him, ultimately. It shows me the Lord Jesus. It shows me God, his character. I long to follow it. And yet so often I don't. Friends, I'm sure you know this more than I do as you look at my life. I fail fail you, my family, I fail my wife, ultimately I sin against God. I I can't do it so often. I long to honour him at times. And yet, as Paul says here, I cannot carry it out in my own strength. The war is between God's will and my will, between God's law and my law. And there are so many times when my, my words, my actions, my choices are so much more about my little kingdom than about the kingdom of God. When I'm all about people following my law as opposed to his law. Even this morning I was sitting at my study at my desk working on this sermon. A little pitter-patter of footsteps coming up to my door. Duncan poked his head round. Asked me a question about what craft he was going to make for me downstairs. I was annoyed. I was frustrated. I wasn't angry because he'd broken God's law. He'd broken my law. I had to take a real deep breath and answer him whilst muttering under my own breath. It's a mundane example, but it's often we try and make these things be bigger than they are. This war is in the mundane often. It's not always just in the big things of life. But this war is constant. It's far reaching. It's all about my desire to be king when there already is a king. Sin's a law, sin's a law, but it's also a prison. Verse 23 tells us sin takes us captive. I see another law at work in me, verse 23 says, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. There's a scary, addictive, enslaving quality to sin. It's not just that I sin. It's addictive, it's magnetising, it, it, it draws me in, it's seductive. And what's interesting is that although all of us sin, we don't all sin in the same way. The things which, which hook you, which seduce you, may not hook me. But there are things which hook me too. And a captive, a, a prisoner, is someone held against his will. Two jockeys, jockeying. I wonder, do you see the enslaving, addictive nature of sin in your life? Sin's a law, it's a war, and it's a prison. The Christian life is a constant battle. We see Paul make that clear here. But knowing the ultimate victory changes how I fight. We've looked down, let's keep starting to look up. Whilst I continue to wrestle my sinful flesh, 
Now as a Christian, I can have a different disposition because I, I know my sinful cravings are not the true me anymore. We saw it in Romans 6, count yourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ. Constantly remember that. Keep reminding yourself of that. Friends, your, your base identity as you've trusted in Jesus it is not a sinner, but a saint. I said that a few weeks ago, Paul calls Christians saints over 40 times in his letters. That's what he mainly calls people, not sinners. Our, our core identity, if we trust in Christ, is not a sinner. That was an old me, somebody who rebelled against God. That was the old me. And this change in thinking is important because remember in your old life, maybe you had a sinful habit which you didn't like. You'd fall into it. You'd feel bad about it. You'd beat yourself up. You'd shame yourself. Maybe you'd get better for a while and then you'd fall back into it again. But when you trust in Jesus, when you become a Christian, you still struggle with it, don't you? You fall back into it sometimes like you used to. This happens. And maybe you start saying, see, nothing's changed. You feel like you're in a battle you can't win. But that's wrong. You're in a battle you can't lose now. You may struggle, but the ultimate outcome is secured. And as you begin to believe this, as you preach this to yourself, well, well, I'm sure that you'll find yourself finding whatever that sin is less attractive, less tasty than before, because you'll start to see it no longer reflects your real identity. Because in your inner being, you delight in the law of God. Another way knowing that ultimate victory changes how you fight is you can be confident even in the most discouraging of times. Back to World War II, December 1941 was a dark time for England. The war was not going well. But when Winston Churchill heard about the Japanese attack of the Americans at Pearl Harbor, he walked into his office, he called the American president, FDR, and he heard him say, well, we're all in the same boat now, aren't we, Winston? Churchill wrote later in his memoir, no American will think it wrong of me to proclaim that hearing the United States was on our side was the greatest joy to me. England would live, Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. I went to bed and slept for sleep of the saved and the thankful. Overwhelming force transformed Churchill's attitude from being helpless to being hopeful. In the Christian life, that, that overwhelming force, God's presence in us, assures us of victory. It assures us that what Christ did on the cross was complete and was all we needed. It means that in your, in your darkest days of struggle, when you echo all of Paul's words here, you can find encouragement. It, it may look like battles are raging, but we can remember the war is won. I can sometimes look at my own heart, look at my own life, and I feel so discouraged. Why does pride rear its ugly head so quickly and easily? Why do I find jealousy and envy so quickly with people more than love? Why am I so judgmental? Why do I struggle so much with self-control? Or more majorly, why is my desire for God often so cold? It's not that I want to do good that trips me up. It's sometimes I don't even want to do good. But friend, if that's you, and I know that's me, well, God hears the cry of desperation, the cry of frustration. What a wretched man I am, I cry. 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Oh, who would rescue such a man? Who would rescue such a woman? Who indeed? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, as we close, delight with me today in looking clearly and closely at the Lord Jesus. What is the Christian life now? Well, God uses our ongoing struggles to grow our appreciation of his grace. Marvel at him, delight in him, worship him. Christ Jesus here became the wretched man of verse 24. He became the wretched man so that we could become righteous and right with God. Thanks be to God. In our, in our weakness and in our battling, we look to him and we remember the war is won. Remember, he won the war. Before coming to Christ, we're in a battle we cannot win. The law won't help us, Romans 7 has told us. But after coming to Christ, we're in a battle we cannot lose. Now, that doesn't stop us actively fighting our sin. According to Romans 6 and 7, there's power to change. John Owen once said, be killing sin or be killing you. He he uses our battle. The Lord uses our battle. He uses our struggle to grow our appreciation of his grace. Christian maturity, Christian holiness It is something we grow in as we appreciate more and more our need for forgiveness. As we become more aware of our sinfulness, we become more aware of the gap between us and what it looks like to follow the Lord. As we see more our need for being saved. And as we look more and more on the Saviour, that is Christian maturity. As we mature, this is where it gets complicated. It feels harder maybe. We recognise more and more of our sin. We recognise more and more of this battle. And the prayer is then at that moment, we fling ourselves more and more onto Jesus. Because he is our identity, not indwelling sin. We're we're dead to sin. We're alive to Christ. We need to keep preaching that truth to ourselves. When sin rears its ugly head, and it will, we can tell it, no, you are no longer my master. I am dead to you. When you fail and you inevitably will, don't let shame tell you you're not a child of God. Don't let shame tell you you need to earn your way back to Jesus. You are dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. Don't let yourself get lost in the battle. Distracted by all that is going on that you stop looking at Christ. The battle will continue, Paul's telling us here, until this life ends. And yet we can live with God in glory And the battle with Christ is victorious. We need to remember that. What Paul is showing us here in this passage is there's a war between your two selves. There's a war between your two selves before you meet Christ and a war that happens after you meet Christ. The key difference is one we cannot win and one has been won for us. So what is it like to be a Christian now? My prayer is for each of us, it'd be a joyful battle. One full of confidence, full of a growth in holiness. Because it's a war we cannot lose. Friends, we cannot lose. With Christ, we cannot lose. The Christian life now is one of hope. It's one of growth. It's one of fruitfulness, as we saw earlier in Romans 7, all because of Christ. 
Because we live now with Christ, and as we're going to see more in Romans 8, we live with the Spirit at work in us. Friends, it's a battle, but it's one you cannot lose. With Christ, we cannot lose. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray, then we're going to sing. Father, thank you for the realism of Paul, the honesty of Paul. Help us, Lord, to ourselves recognize the reality of what it looks like to live in this battle now but ultimately lift our eyes away from ourselves and up afresh and more and more towards the lord jesus let us see him risen and reigning in glory victorious having defeated death defeated satan having dealt with all our sin past present and future Lord, let us live in the midst of that victory, even whilst the battle rages. We need your help daily to remember that. We need your help by your spirit daily to keep applying that to ourselves and living more and more in light of that. Help us to do that. We praise you and thank you that you're working in us, Lord. It's not us, but you who does that. Keep reminding us that we pray. Amen. Let's sing a wonderful song which applies these truths to us now.